him in morning and uh, welcome as Jim said my name is Ben and uh, great to be here and thanks for accommodating and moving around a bit um, you know I think it's uh, it's cold outside but it's warm in here so that's always a good thing and the Bible talks a lot about hospitality so it's always good to be warm with the people of God in the presence of God and uh, and really, that's what church is about. That's what Jesus wants for us, is that we have uh, the best in this life and in eternity. You know, it's good news, which should put a smile across uh, more than the, the 10 or so that are smiling. <laughs> I mean, you know, that we have, uh, we have everything uh, wrapped up by the God of the universe. And uh, here at God Central, you know, if we go back, you know, we're in our ninth year. Do you know I mean, you know, we're just grateful, and, but still leaning in to the same promise of God, really, is that he would come and change lives. You know, you know we started, uh, my wife and I, you know, nine years ago, back in a front room with just a handful of people. And it was, it's just been interesting to see how God has moved, you know, and we believe, you know, thank you again, I just want to echo that, those who, are, who have been part of the celebration, prayer and fasting. You know, I think we're getting into a rhythm of it now. Um, I, I even remembered not to eat this time, uh, which was good. <laughs> it's kind of cookie in there. Uh, but it's enjoying God together, but being serious about him, that he would come, that he would transform us, he would transform our town, that he would add, he would build his church. Do you know what I mean? That we would see hundreds, if not thousands of people here in Harlow, Essex, and then replicated across Essex, replicated across the United Kingdom, and then across the kingdoms of this world. Do you know, just wrapped up and caught up in God's purposes. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be, in a minute, if you want to be finding it on your smartphone, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8 to 20. Um, uh, we'll get them read in just a moment. But I just want to give some background before um, folk come up and help me. Because uh, Ecclesiastes, obviously, we know, written by Solomon, not a normal book, but actually it talks a lot about wisdom. And today's passage is going to prick some ears because today we're going to talk about material stuff, <laughs> Jesus, and what really satisfies. So it's quite hard hitting again, a bit like last week, those who are here. And, uh, and I want to start, just before we even get into scripture, by just recognising the conflict that has existed in the world since as far back as, as we've got records, and we'll go, between rich and poor. Because there's always a tension when we start bringing those things up. Do you know what I mean? You know, and, uh, and if, you look, if you read the newspapers, uh, they would say in times of election or political uncertainty, uh, th those, those repercussions uh, are even greater. And I think, I'm not getting into politics, but I think we know our nation at the moment is a little bit topsy-turvy. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of pressure between sort of different classes, rich and poor. Um, so rather than get into that, what we thought we'd do is nail it straight into the Bible, because that's a safe place to go. It's the Word of God will always be. And, uh, and as we go into the Bible, I think we also need to recognise that as Christians, we've also got embraced in something called poverty theology and prosperity theology. So we've taken a lot of the world's ra ra you know, wrestlings with poor and rich, and we've just put the word theology on them, really, <laughs> and brought them in. And, uh, and if you don't know what I'm on about, well, well poverty theology is basically the principle that, that I don't have every, anything because God is enough and therefore I'm not interested in stuff and my holiness is in just not having a lot but just trusting in God. Whereas prosperity th theology is I've got lots because God has blessed me because I'm good. And again you can cherry pick the Bible to pick your verses but actually the Bible doesn't talk a lot about, well, it doesn't mention at all prosperity theology or poverty theology. What the Bible talks about is the issue of heart. 
The Bible doesn't have categories of rich and poor, or if it does, the Bible has to just two categories. And the, and the categories the Bible has, uh, it should come up behind me, is that we have two kinds of rich, the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. And then two kinds of poor, the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. It's got nothing to do with the stuff. It's where our heart is and where we're leaning into God. And so that's a huge challenge for us straight off the bat. Do you know what I mean? You know, and, uh, and we're going to have a look at that. But just as while you're looking at those verses, you know, some of you are probably already doing what I did when, when I started thinking about this. You're starting to think through if you've got a biblical knowledge. Okay, so where do some biblical characters maybe fit in out of those categories? And then you might be even more sneaky and think, well, where do some of my Christian friends fit into some of those categories? And the question I want to say is, where do you fit in that category? <laughs> because uh, that's a tough one. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, and that's really where we're going to give account before our God when we meet him, is where are we with things? And so uh, having thrown in a very, very, and I know it's a very, very thin biblical framework. I just want to read today's text, but we're going to read it twice. I've got Bill and Tony, wherever they are. Uh, where's Bill? Where's Tony? Oh, there's Tony. There they are. And we're going to read. And the reason I wanted to read this twice is Bill's going to come and read it from um, the English Standard Version. Um, and then Tony's going to read it from the message. And, I, and then the reason is there's quite a lot in this text. And I just think one's going to help the other. Okay, so so just going to have to listen. Um, we get the mic for them. Bill's got the harder version to read for, from the ESV. So give Bill a big clap because he, he, he opted to take on the more manly challenge. No. <laughs> Tony won't be helping me in a minute. Right. Let's just listen to this and just trust it does good. And then Tony will read straight after from the message. Go on, buddy. The vanity of wealth and honour. If you see in a province of the oppression of the poor and the violation of the justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high officials is watched by a higher, and there are high, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gained for a land in every way, a, a king committed to the cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied, satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, this, is, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of, of a labour whenever he eats little or much, but, but the full stomach of the rich will not let, them, let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept, were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hands. As he come from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toils, and toils that he may carry away with in his hands. This also is a grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him with whose toils for the wind? Moreover, all this day he has eat, eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. In all the toil with which one toils under the sun, a few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his loss. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil with his, with his 
This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Superb, Bill. And Tony, do you just want to give us the message translation of the same passage, then we'll pray and rip in. Don't be too upset when you see the poor kicked around and justice and right violated all over the place. Exploration filters down from the petty one petty official to another. There is no end to it and nothing can be done about it. But the good earth doesn't cheat anyone. Even a bad king is honestly served by a field. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. Nor the one who know, loves wealth with, with big profits, more smoke. The more loot you get, the more looters you show up. And, when, and what fun is that? to be robbed in broad daylight. Hard and honest work earns a good night's sleep, whatever supper is beans on st or steak, but a rich man's belly gives him insomnia. Here's a piece of bad luck I've seen happen. A man hoards far more wealth than is good for him and then loses it all in a bad business deal. He fathered the child, but hasn't a cent left to give him. He arrives naked from the womb of the mother, and he leaves the same condition with nothing. This is bad luck for, for sure. Naked he came, naked he went. So what is the point of working for a salary of smoke, or for a miserable life spent in the dark? After looking at the way things are on the earth, Here's what I've decided in the best way to live. Take care of yourself, have a good time, and make the most of whatever job you have for as long as God gave, gives you. And that's about it. That's the human lot. Yes, we should make the most of what God gives. Both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy is accepting what's given and delighted in the work. In God's gift, God deals out joy in the present and the new. It's useless to brood over the long, for how long we live. Cheers, Tony. Let's just pray. Let's kick in. Father, we thank you that, yeah, that you, you're for us, Lord. And uh, we just trust this morning. Holy Spirit, would you just illuminate your word to us? Father, would, would my words be few and yours many? Lord, would, would, would you just stir us via Holy Spirit? Would you help us to see more of Jesus, to, to draw closer to, to him? Yeah, God, our prayer this morning is that, yeah, we're edified, but more than that, you are glorified here in Harlow, Essex. We ask that in your beautiful name. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so big round of applause there for, for, for Bill and Tony. Uh, a lengthy passage, and you probably get why I wanted to read it twice, because there's, there's a lot in there, and uh, obviously we've got sort of 20 minutes to unpick it. But in Ecclesiastes 5, 8 to 20, you see all the four different kinds of people I mentioned beforehand. You've got the righteous, poor, and you've got the unrighteous poor. You've got the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. And what Solomon's going to do is he's going to talk about all four categories. Okay, and, and let's be clear, he's going to start 
uh, and then build and he's going to try and blow sort of so, certain myths, certain ideas out the water and end with a satisfaction in Jesus. And uh, the good news for us is that Jesus is a king who rules over us. And in Jesus' kingdom, there's no taxes. <laughs> there's, there's no oppression. There's no red tape and rules. You know, it's a different kingdom to, to the one that Solomon has experienced and that all of us have experienced to this date. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and unfortunately <laughs> for us, until we get to that kingdom, we are stuck with the rules, <laughs> the laws, the taxes, the politicians, the bureaucracy, and all of that. Do you know what I mean? And, and Solomon is a, is a king. So he understands all of that from the top of the tree down. His, his, his perspective, when he's talking about oppression and exploitation, he's seen that in his kingdom. Do you mean he's seen places where where the poor have been ripped off, where deals have gone wrong, where government has gone, and that's why he says, "Don't be surprised." You know, this is a guy who had knowledge from all over. He's looking at different societies, and we can look at different societies and say that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Do you know what I mean? Because really, we've got a crooked people running crooked nations. So when they turn out slightly off skew, it shouldn't really be rocket science. Do you know what I mean? You know, you know, the kids I teach can make those sort of analogies. Do you know what I mean? You know, and let's let's nail really on early on here. You know that Solomon's talking a lot about about riches and wealth. Let's just bring money to the centre stage, and let's nail really really early on that yes, we need money to live. Do you mean most societies have traded something? It's over there, and the Bible is not against money. Let's get that one. The Lord of heaven and earth thinks it's a good idea for you and I to work so we feed ourselves, that we feed our families, that we provide for them, that we get an education, we keep them safe, we provide beds and places to sleep. That's good. Money in itself is quite neutral. And I found a really good analogy that said money is like a hammer. Do you know what I mean? You know, a hammer is just an object. You know, it can be used brilliantly by a tradesperson. You know, we heard James talking about his dad. Do you know what I mean? You know, a tradesperson can use a hammer to make a living. Someone else can use it to hit someone and cause great harm. The issue is not the hammer. It's rather the heart of the person wielding the hammer. Thus is the same with money. Money is not the problem. The issue is the heart of the person wielding the money. So that's hard, but let's get there. And let's be real. You can worship God with your money. You can tithe generously, you can care for your family, you can care for those in need, you can be generous in your living. Do you mean, you know, that, that, that money can be a real blessing in the kingdom. But the love of money can also trip people up if it becomes the be-all and end-all in itself. You know, if it's what you identify with, if it's what you're tracking the most, if it's what you're thinking about all the time, it can become your functional God. I mean, what you function to exist and where it goes on, you know. And uh, there was a, when I was growing up, uh, there used to be loads of those little cartoons. Uh, I think it was like Goofy or something. And he always used to be like in a desert and he was looking for water. And they're always like, Chloe. and right on the edge of the horizon in the old cartoon, there was always that kind of black spot, which you always thought was like the mirage of water. And he'd always go running through. And when he got there, he'd find out it wasn't water. It was like the mirage. You know, you know there was this illusion of striving for something and arriving there and it not nailing it. And I think for many of us, you know, money has that effect. 
that we strive after things on, on this earth. You know, whether it be the next holiday, the next phone, the next games console, the next house, the next car, the next step up the corporate ladder, the next bit of education we can tick off. We strive for these things, and in, if by by a miracle we get there, and there's no saying we are, you know, you know, we get there and we realise that actually there's still the next thing to go after. That, that, that it's, it's meanness, it's a mirage, it's, an, it's something that has a risk of, of telling us that it's going to satisfy us and we arrive and we realise it just doesn't. You know, and then we reset ourselves. And I'm talking to myself as much as you guys. You know, you know, we strive after things. You know, I used to joke years ago when when uh, when I was big into the Apple phones. You know, God's cleansed me from that. I'm now Google Android, but I've got the same problem. Do you know what I mean? That, that you know, I was waiting for the next one to be launched, and the next one was going to have this on it and this on it. And Mark Walker knows I couldn't even use the thing. Do you know what I mean? But, 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 but I'm striving for the next thing. You know, and it's the same with you know. I remember when I was working in finance. You know, you know, every year the company car list. Would come round and people would be like checking off down the list as you know well, I'm going to get that one because and it's like come on guys you get that one and then you either crash it because we can't drive or next year the next model's out and it, and it just these things are cyclical and we know it but let's be real a lot of us get sucked into it <laughs> you know you know there's nothing new under the sun and then the added risk of building up all this stuff is that someone's going to come along and fleece you do you mean that you're going to get a deal that goes wrong or someone's going to rob you or it's going to get broken and all this stuff that we've invested in and built up is just going to go wrong somewhere? You know, and again, you know, uh, if I, you know, look at the celebrities around, you know, who, who will testify to that? That they've built up, built up, built up and, and they still say they're empty, you know? Uh, or they've built up, they've built up, they've built up. And then all of a sudden, people have just fleeced them. Do you know what I mean? They've, they've just gone bankrupt. They've gone from there to there. We all know it, you know. And, and so Solomon is just talking wisdom, which is applicable in the 21st century as it was when he wrote it. Where he comes to in uh, verses 12 to 15 is, is brilliant, I think. It says, the righteous poor work a, a hard, long day on the job. They come home and eat whatever's in the fridge, whether it be beans or steak. I love the Eugene Peterson's analogy. And then they go to bed and they sleep well. And he says, why? Because their conscience is clear. You know, they didn't rip anyone off that day. They didn't overbuild their hours. They didn't fiddle anything. They weren't trying to accumulate. They weren't sailing after this deal or cutting this bit short. They, they just lived right before God. And according to the Bible, a clear conscience before God is priceless. It can't be bought for any amount of money. You know, people try to trade things. No, no, it's bought by the blood of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? You know, our clear conscience helps us sleep well knowing that we've lived before our God. And then I had a thought. Okay, that's, what the, that's, that's the, the, the righteous poor. What about the unrighteous rich? And, uh, and I started thinking, and I thought, you know, funny enough, I was just flicking through the TV, and there was one of those programs where, where they like, have those people who hoard stuff. Do you know what I mean? And, and, you know, and they're terrible programs. You don't ever want to watch them. But, but you start to think, this person's got an obsession with something that's just not normal. And, and they've got, like, you know, 50 vacuum cleaners that they've accumulated. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, a load of this person had just had a collection of, of, of technology. And I was like, why? And then I went yesterday to open my garage and opened it, and there were my four bikes in there. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> got a problem. <laughs> just 
close the door. Uh, and, and you've probably all got stuff that we just collect. Do you know what I mean? You know, you know, it was funny. I was, re I was reading a bit of research on this. And they said, you know, that people in the UK in 29, uh, 2019, sorry, have probably stacked up more money than, than our predecessors and more money than, than corporately we'll ever need. We've got, we've got stashed up. That we've got, we've got more cars per person per driving license and a lot of them are just collectors or just sat around for the odd good day. Do you know what I mean? And they talked about the increase of use of motorbikes for the summer. Do you know what I mean? They talked about road bikes and felt guilty for the summer. In there, they talked about holiday homes that actually sometimes aren't even visited. They're just kind of sitting around empty for all the time. They talked about bedrooms in homes that aren't slept in, about the number of TVs per household and how many times they're actually turned on. Do you know what I mean? And it could go on and on and on. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, yes, Solomon, <laughs> you've got some wisdom here. You know, that, that naked we come into the world and naked we go out of it. And, and in our little trip around our cul-de-sac of life, how often do we get led, us, led astray, if I use those words? Not that there's wrong stuff in there, but it's just a checking of heart, isn't it? You know, we can't take it with us. You know, the Bible's clear that we store up treasure in heaven, you know, where, where it doesn't rot and it doesn't rust. You know, there is no safe place for us to invest in this earth. You know, you know, I've talked, a lot of you know, I was a financial advisor, you know, and real estate markets crash. Markets go up and down. You put it into cash and inflation eats away at your money. You think you can buy this with it. Well, a couple of years later, you can't. So, I mean, you invest in, in material stuff and sometimes it goes right and sometimes it goes wrong. There's a wisdom in it. Do you mean, you know, but what do we do then as Christians? Let's get back to that rather than the world. Well, as Christians, we live... God first lives. We put him at the center, which basically means if you're going to talk stuff, we give our first fruits to God. You know, it's, it's why as a church, we believe in tithing. You know, it's putting the things before God, and that's making a good investment. After that, we pay our bills. Yeah, of course we do. You know, we may invest a little bit wisely, put a bit by for a rainy day, for the next, you know, the next car change to see our children go through university or educations. And then we start living a generous life. Not hoarding, but realising that God's given us his stuff to steward. So therefore, we're going to enjoy it now. And invest a bit for the future. You know, you know the key thing here is start being generous now so that we can enjoy giving and being amongst one another rather than leaving as inheritance where we're okay, we don't get to see the benefit. Do you know what I mean? You know, not the ones right or wrong, but we want to enjoy things while we're still alive is the passage coming out from Solomon here. And, and let's be real, as we do that, why are we trying to do that? Well, we're trying to live that way to change the world according to Scripture for the glory and honour of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We're called to live lights that, that shine to Harlow, to Essex, to the nations, as we've said, for the glory of God. And if you think about it, <laughs> the righteous way of living, whether, whether poor or rich, does that. If we flick it around the other way, the unrighteous poor, they do very little to change the world. Do you know what I mean? Because basically, a lot of them uh, who would fit in that category are just lazy people who are going to sit around, who possibly have a sense of entitlement, and are waiting for another responsible adult or someone else to come and fix their problems, sort their, their food, their bills and everything out. 
Do you mean? Yeah, they're not. They're not contributing. They're, they're sucking out of society. The counterpart, obviously, is the unrighteous rich, and they do. They do. They do nothing to make the world a better place either. Because what they're going to do is they're just going to take, 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 not give back. They're going to exploit. They're, they're going to oppress. They're going to spend their days like a leech, just sucking blood out of something. And that's one clear reason, if you look at those two analogies, why God does not condone every poor, every rich person. Because you've got poor there and rich there, and neither of them are building to society. You know, God, through Solomon in this passage, though, shows us that, that, that there is a better hope. There's a better deal. That those things are going to be empty. And, and what I think Solomon is, is being used by God to do here is to build a picture of, well, if you go after this, if you go after this, if you go after this, it's going to be empty. And I think at times, God sometimes has to give us a vision and crush it so that we actually get his vision. That, that actually, by painting this stuff and then getting rid of it, it's like God then opens us up to what he might want us to do. And God has shown us out of his love, his, his coming from heaven to earth, that actually we have a greater calling. That we don't need to leave, live in foolishness and misery. You know, that we are called to go. So there's a key question, which is my next slide. I kept them very brief this time, which is, so what's, what's the answer to life here under the sun? And the answer is really, really easy. It's live a righteous life with God by grace. <laughs> you know, there's, no, there's no complexity to it. You know, as sinners, you know, each of us has had a debt. <laughs> you know, we're born. You know, it says, and, and we are called enemies of God. You know, Romans 3 verse 20 says, you know, all have sinned and fallen short. But then Jesus came. That's what we were singing and celebrating this morning. And Jesus makes a way for us with God. He pays the debt we cannot pay. And so rising from death back to heaven, he releases all power and all authority for us. Do you know what I mean? He becomes the righteous king. And until we get to that place, as I said earlier, there's going to be hits and bits. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be things that just don't go well, whether we're rich or poor. But what we are called to do is to live for him. To live a righteous life by grace for the glory of God. That we're best we're able. And uh, for a bit of fun, as I'm starting to come into land, I thought I'd go through this passage and try and pull out from Solomon's words what that righteous life may look like. And so on the next slide, I've got these. I think the life, according to this, that like you can biblically say, is God, God wants us to eat, <laughs> which is good. That's what Andrew Hodgson was praying for at the beginning, that the picnic would be, would be beneficial for us. You know I mean? So God wants us to, to eat, to enjoy. He wants us to drink. As, as Lee started this series off with, God has given us work, you know, to be a good thing, to keep us into rhythms, to build things, to provide for things, you know, to accept our lot. That yes, there's going to be ups and downs, but through it all, God is greater. You know, that yes, we, we get to make money, to invest, to trade, to provide for ourselves and those we love and to be generous with. To enjoy our health that, that God has given us, the, the bodies that we're able. To enjoy our lives, to do it all with God at the centre. And, and one of my favourite Bible verses, um, and I say, the, it was amazing. The, the first year we planted God Central Church, uh, we went as a family up to um, North Norfolk on holiday in the summer. And we came across Scripture Union, who, is a, who are kind of a group. Uh, and they do beach mission with like all, their, all their youth camps up there. And, and they had written this Bible verse in stones on the beach in Sheringham. So as we looked down from the top, this was our welcome to holiday kind of down. And I felt God really spoke to me about it. You know, that, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. 
Yeah, it's not about, it's about him. It's not about anything less than that. Do you know what I mean? You know, a righteous life is practical. Do you know what I mean? You know, it is. You know, it's not the sloth that's not life. It's not the sluggard. It's, it's about doing things. You know, if you go back, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they got in a lot of trouble when they started doing stuff without God. It wasn't the doing, it was the doing without God. And I would say, for you and I, we get into the same trouble when we try and do things without God. Yeah? So if you went through that list, I would encourage you to eat, giving grace, giving thanks to God for what he's given to you. To when we drink, that we drink with enjoyment of God. That when we're going to work, we, we pray and involve God in it, knowing that he's using that to bless us. And likewise, you know, money, health, life, that we build God into those things. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't intend for us to, to just be into the things. He intends us to be into him in the things. I think all of this underlies, or sorry, underlying this, is just knowing who God is. Because all of that is meaningless unless you know that our God is good. That in every single way, he is good, he is for us, and looking to bless us. That in every single way, he knows it all, and yet pours out love and compassion on us. And we need to be quick to acknowledge him, to fix our eyes on him, and not lean on our own understanding, not start digging up things from our past, from other pasts, other parallels, but trusting God that every day is a new day given by him. That every day, the God of the universe wakes up and enjoys you as his creation if you've chosen to follow him. That every day, there are opportunities to live for his glory and to enjoy the things he's given us. You know, God made you and I for his pleasure. That may be hard looking around the room, but that's what the Bible teaches us. And John Piper, who's an American theologian, uh, famously wrote, uh, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. And I think there's a lot to that. That God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. It's he designed you. He knows what resonates. He knows things about you and knows what to look for in you. Uh, I want to close with a silly analogy as the band come up. That yesterday afternoon, I went um, I went to see my cousin, who's a, a horse rider, and uh, she does something called, if you know horses, she does something called dressage, which I don't really understand, even having been. But in my 43 years, I finally went to see her, and I'm going to embarrass a couple of people who are behind me on this. But but we rocked up as a family, and we'd invited Ben, Nicky, and Tony along because they'd met my my cousin and knew her and had links. And honestly, you know, we're we're in this kind of shack, and uh, there's there's my cousin on a horse, which is quite a big horse, uh, and walking round. And to be honest with you, I didn't have a clue what I was looking at. I had no idea at all. In fact, Ben and I genuinely were more taken by the fact that one of the other jockeys walked in with a Costa mug that we both spotted more than we spotted what the horse was doing. Because God did not design me for, for an interest in the equestrian lifestyle. 
you transfer that to when my cousin was going through her routine. Tony and Nikki, who do know a thing about horses, well, well, Nikki was even recanting some sort of words. I don't know, it sounded like tongues to me, but it was things that, this, that the creature was doing. Do you know what I mean? Because there's an interest, there's a design, there's a difference. And, and we're all wired differently. You know, there's no condemnation. You know, you, know, you know, we're wired differently. But God knows how he made you. And he made you perfect for, for the role he has for you. And therefore, we don't look to compare each other. We enjoy the life God has given. It's why we're more together than we are apart. Because there is a greater gifting. And so the encouragement coming out the end of this passage in Ecclesiastes is live a righteous life how God designed you. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed to the patterns of Christianity. Live before God as he has made you and called you to be. And enjoy the breath he's given you today. And uh, I'd just like us to stand. Uh, we're going to pray. And then we're going to take up communion. Uh, specifically, to close with our eyes firmly fixed on God. And, uh, and we just want to pray for one or two people specifically maybe. But in this all, you know, we just want people caught up in God. That's what we exist for as God's central, to see hundreds of people added to the kingdom of God. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for brothers and sisters here, Lord. Thank you for, for friendships, for laughter. But more than anything, Lord, lift our eyes to see Jesus. Thank you that you made a way where there is no way. That you continue to make a way where there is no way. That there is nothing that is impossible to you, O oh God. And so I pray now, Father, that you would catch each one of us up in our individual mission with you, O oh God. That you would, you would cause us to resonate in the way that you've made us, O oh God. That you would fan into flame dreams and desires that have maybe been put to the side. Things that we've been ridiculed about, maybe by this world, but are part of the way you've made us, O oh God. Help us to come alive in you, as you call us to be, Lord. Lord, thank you that we are all different. God, we, we thank you. Thank you for the diversity, Lord. Thank you for, for just being part of your complete church, oh God. And I pray, Lord, bless us. Do good to us. Lead us on in your pathways for your glory, Lord, that, you, that hundreds and thousands of lives would be transformed and added to your kingdom, we ask, God.